Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, I want to say Merry Christmas, everybody. We're going to take a little break a little later on the program and give some people a shout out. But right now we have Congressman Emanuel Cleaver II out of Kansas City, Missouri, the fifth congressional district out of Missouri. And uh, he is a person I've been knowing for quite a while. Uh, he has uh, been engaged in the civil rights struggle for a long time. He's been on the city council uh, in Kansas City and the mayor of Kansas City and also was a pastor of a very large church. So uh, Christmas really has a special meaning to him as well. But uh, Congressman Cleaver has also been a leader in the Congressional Black Caucus. And uh, at one time, he hired a young lady by the name of Angela Riot to be the executive director and general counsel for the Black Caucus. So that was in, I think, 2010, 2011, Congressman? My best, one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> Her mother and I are proud of it. Would love, love to hear that statement. Yeah. So what's on, uh, you know, I read uh, the piece uh, that, that Political did on you, and we're having a similar situation in Washington State, as you well know, in terms of specifically with African descendants, United States enslaved. Us has been, has lineage for 400 years in this country. As Angela Wright would say, built this joint for free. And I see that uh, this uh, lack of diversity or inclusion of black folks is just not in little piddly state and city contracts, but it also is on uh, K Street, Wall Street, uh, in uh, D.C., and that's where all the power is because all the major firms have their lobbyists working out of K Street. So could you share with our listeners a little bit about how K Street operates and the lack, their lack of diversity? Well, let, let me first uh, mention that uh, since that article came out last week, I have been bombarded with um, two different kinds of phone calls, one from uh, other reporters, uh, asking questions and uh, wanting me to, uh, uh, to discuss this issue uh, with them. Uh, the other issue uh, is from uh, lobbying uh, houses, not just in Washington, but uh, in New York as well. And the way uh, K Street works, we call K, when you hear, hear uh, when your listeners hear someone talking, talking about K Street, uh, they're talking about lobbying firms. Uh, uh, for example, uh, Wall Street is, is kind of, you know, what we say about trading and so forth. But the stock market is not even on Wall Street, it's on Broad Street. Uh, but Wall Street will eternally uh, be uh, uh, known as the financial center of the world. Uh, and, and K Street is the, is the uh, financial and legislative seat uh, of, uh, of this country. Uh, all of the, all of the uh, companies, uh, big major corporations, every, just you name it, and they have an office, uh, or, or, maybe it's not on K Street, but a part of K Street. And those lobbyists uh, come over uh, to discuss matters important to their uh, clients. Uh, and they will quite often come uh, to talk with us, uh, you know, by uh, uh, having a, a, an issue laid out on paper, and they'll come in and show how such an issue could hurt uh, their company and thus hurt employment and so forth and so on. Uh, well, uh, tragically, uh, and, you know, somewhat uh, ignorantly, uh, they have not always understood that the number of African-Americans uh, in Congress uh, has been on the rise. And so what does that mean? Well, uh, you, come to call, you come to Emmanuel Cleaver's office to, uh, to talk about your company's issue, and you bring over five or six white men. And uh, what, uh, what I said in the, off in the, in the uh, article that that day is over. Uh, and it was uh, corroborated, if you will, by some, someone you know quite well, and that is uh, what I consider to be the toughest uh, member in Congress, uh, Bill, uh, Benny Thompson from Mississippi. And 
the lobbying firms, firms have been put on notice. You, you, you don't come to, to, to talk to African-Americans. There are 52 of us. And you don't come talk to us uh, by sending five uh, white men uh, to talk. Now, I don't have anything against white men. Uh, my my uh, my great grandpa was white, uh, but uh, my grand my great grandpa couldn't come in and talk about uh, you know his uh, issues for a company uh, without bringing some some people of color. I think first of all, it's disrespectful. Um, it, 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 and it's and it's a blatant display of uh, I don't I don't even really see you kind of attitude that has been uh, all too pervasive uh, in this land uh, low these many years. So, uh, you know, when I was first elected, if I can, uh, Al Green, uh, who's been my uh, friend for decades, we, in fact, we talked this morning, spoke this morning by phone, uh, he and I have known each other since the 1980s, and uh, we, we talked about this this morning, but what what are, when we were first elected, we were, we were elected at the same time, and uh, we uh, immediately uh, connected up with uh, Benny Thompson because we were fortunate enough to be appointed to the Homeland Security Committee, which he chairs. And every Wednesday, he had a meeting uh, in his office with some corporations doing business with um, the federal government. And... Uh, homeland, in some cases, homeland security matters, and uh, I was just in awe of how he ran those meetings. Which was it was a they were breakfast breakfast meetings, and he would say to them clearly and unambiguously, uh, "Look, uh, you know where are you black people? Uh, you know you need to come to make another appointment, and because you probably went off and forgot some people uh, who need to be here." And so, uh, you know, things have gotten to the point now where I guess uh, people assume that it's okay for us uh, not to have people anymore. They, they've relaxed uh, the things they were saying, you know, 15 years ago. And so when I was interviewed, I, I said that if there was ever any re- relaxation, it's gone. And what, 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 because what was happening with lobbyists in Washington is happening in Seattle and uh, Los Angeles and uh, St. Louis and New Orleans and Kansas City and Baltimore, everywhere around the country, and that is uh, exclusionary practices. It is a part of how uh, 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 Americans, and to some degree, how government uh, has been doing business. Well, that day is over in Washington, and uh, the, the uh, many many people, uh, you know, have been commented have been commenting on, on that story. Yeah, well, because it is widespread, and as you are aware of the fact that uh, in Washington State, uh, 21 individuals and organizations have filed a discrimination complaint, uh, and it's based on the statistics that since nine disparity studies that were done over the past 10 years, we've not had a, uh, we've not had a, uh, a uh, uh, affirmative action since 1998. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, people are just going under. And the, you have a disparity study to determine if there's disparate treatment. And time and time again, uh, African descendants, United States enslaved, the black folks who've been here for 100 years, died in every war. Time and time again, uh, our, uh, our numbers are just not where they need to be. And uh, according to some members of the Congressional Black Caucus, it uh, really constitutes uh, discrimination, which is illegal. And you think about the fact that uh, Washington is a, is a blue state. We've had, uh, at least on the on the, this side of the mountains, and uh, we've had, you know, uh, three Republican governors, I mean, Democratic governors in succession. Uh, and uh, 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 Governor's Directive 98-01, a, a directive issued by governor, former Governor Gary Locke, killed affirmative action. So because of that and that mentality, like we don't have to do business with black folks, we heard that when I turned it first passed. So we had no choice but to file a complaint to have the, the, a real United States Justice Department come in and look at it. So, uh, and it's a, a number of uh, people who uh, who have standing uh, as a, uh, a victim or 
representing a class like the National Association of Black Veterans, the Tacoma NAACP, Seattle NAACP, uh, Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson with uh, the AME Church here, uh, Bishop uh, Reggie Witherspoon, who's Angela's pastor. Uh, he is a, a Church of God in Christ bishop, and many, many others all signed on because they could read. The numbers don't lie. They're not our numbers. The numbers belong to the government agencies that are allowing Black folks to be discriminated against. And that's why we reached out to the National Black Caucus to see about getting some support. As a matter of fact, I think our governor served with quite a few members. Governor Jay Inslee served with quite a few members of the Congressional Black Caucus and while he was a member of Congress. Is that correct? That, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I served with him uh, for either two or four years. I, I, it's probably four years. Um, and so I, I, I know him. I don't know him, uh, you know, uh, deeply or, or intimately, but I, I do know him. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I actually um, uh, believe when he was elected governor that he would be uh, someone who would, you know, bring, try to bring a, about a, a, a level of fairness that would not be would not have been equal prior to his election. Uh, so I, and I haven't been able to keep up with him. Uh, in Washington, except for the brief moment when he uh, announced that he was a, a candidate for president. Okay. Well, anyway, like I said, we're we're definitely not, not letting it. Uh, even though they say, well, you guys are so old, but you know, we got to have you got young people coming behind us. If we know there's a wrong, it has to be righted. Uh, right now, yeah. I know that uh, voting rights is one of the priorities for everybody in my neighborhood. Uh, what is the possibilities of the president being able to issue an executive order to get around Joe Manchin and the Republicans to ensure that, uh, that people have a constitutional right to access to the ballot? Well, the, the Congressional Black Caucus had a, uh, an emergency meeting yesterday, and uh, uh, we, we got a report from one of our members, uh, Cory Booker, uh, Senator Cory Booker uh, from New Jersey, uh, who... Um, this is Mike. Want to lift up prayers uh, for him? He he is uh, he was home recovering from uh, COVID, and um, he had he has had both uh, the the vaccine and uh, and the uh, uh, booster. Uh, but you know you could tell he and, and he said his throat was very sore and he was on the upswing, but he had been very sick. But one of the things that we he, reason for the meeting was to talk about the issue you just raised, and that is, um, you know, how, how, can, what, how, can, how can we get this done in a short period of time? Uh, Joe Manson and Chris Kirsten Cinema, uh, for reasons I can't explain, I'm not even sure they can, are somehow looking at uh, the uh, filibuster uh, as if Moses brought it down from Mount Sinai uh, as the 11th commandment, uh, the word filibuster is not, is not, I, I repeat, uh, a, a word that is in our constitution, uh, or the Bible for that matter. Uh, but they have embraced it. And, and the filibuster has only been around since like the 1950s. Um, and so what we need is for them to carve out, do what, what we call a carve out. That is, uh, we can they can keep the filibuster, but on 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 life saving, democracy saving issues uh, like voting, uh, the, the filibuster does not apply. So that 51 uh, votes uh, would win on any issue uh, related to both, uh, related to uh, voting. So. Uh, it, the, the, the likelihood that Mansion or Cinema will move, I think, is remote. Uh, what uh, what we're going to try to put our, our foot on right now, uh, and it may or may not work, uh, and that is, uh, we're trying to get uh, the, the the talking filibuster uh, reinitiated. Right now, um, a a person could sit in your in that studio where you are. Uh, are in a studio and dial in to the clerk of the house, of the uh, Senate and say uh, on on Senate Bill 496 I'm going to filibuster. That's all it takes. You don't have to do anything else 
except announcers. Well, um, apparently Manchin, uh, and maybe Cinema, but Manchin has said uh, he would um, support the reinstitution of the uh, talking filibuster. In other words, you can't just call in or send a memo down to the clerk. Uh, you got to stand on the floor and speak. Now, the last, the last uh, significant talking filibuster was Strom Thurmond, uh, and he did it for 24 hours and 18 minutes, uh, filibustering, of course, civil rights. Uh, but a, a, a weird thing here that I need to say to your listeners, they're going to get a headache about what I'm about to say. Uh, when the filibuster, when the Voting Rights Act was approved shortly after um, I was elected, uh, uh, right, right around 2004, I think, somewhere like that, um, Strom Thurmond supported it. Uh, he voted for it. And uh, almost every Republican voted for it. The reason I mention that is show I want people to see what, how far the, the Republican Party has gone. So it comes up for renewal now, and there's not one member of the Senate uh, who's, gonna, who's voting for it, and there's not one member of the House voting for it who, are Republican, who is a Republican. Uh, there are two black uh, Republicans in the House and one in the Senate, right? Tim Scott? That's right, and, and, and they're fighting against it. Okay. Uh, the, the, in the Senate, Tim Scott is uh, from South Carolina, who happens to be a friend of mine, and, and we get along fine. I'm, a, I'm, I'm hurt, painful, painfully so, over uh, his unwillingness to go there. But um, I, I think that uh, with the talking filibuster, there are all kinds of things that can happen that might give us a chance to call the vote, because uh, whoever is filibustering uh, can call the vote uh, at a moment's notice. And so um, that might give us uh, the edge. Now, to answer your question directly about uh, uh, an executive order, executive orders are significant. Uh, uh, in fact, your listeners may not know this, but the Emancipation Proclamation is an executive order. That wasn't a vote of Congress. When uh, we said uh, Lincoln freed the slaves, that's literally what he did because Congress did not vote on the Emancipation Proclamation. So proclamations can do big things. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I'm sorry, uh, uh, right here in my uh, hometown of Kansas City, uh, Harry Truman signed an executive order that uh, desegregated the military. That's right. And one of the biggest things that, that's happened, because it made the uh, uh, Bill of Rights, the uh, Veterans Bill of Rights uh, uh, available, uh, so they can send black folks to college uh, after the message went to college and that. So, okay. uh, uh, and, uh, I don't want to downplay. Yeah, we, 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 we just about out of time, Congressman, but I, what I do want to say is that I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that wisdom, uh, clarifying what the, what's happening in Washington, D.C., and I uh, want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and uh as uh, soon as I guess this next virus leave, we'll be able to see each other once again. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Good to be with you. Okay, thank you very much, sir. Eric, I want my guests to stand by for a minute. We've got to take a quick break. Sorry about that, y'all. Just hang on with one minute. But I do want to say uh, Merry Christmas to uh, Candace Bailey for uh, the uh, pecan pies and the goodies she brought me. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. 
Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. But my next guest, Letitia Maria, realtor, publisher, and the founder of Legally Black, Attorney James Bible, who's been representing the Manuel Ellis uh, family, and Will Hauser, who is the chair of the Washington State Commission on African American Affairs, who's been representing the Tacoma Pierce County Black Collective in these deliberations. So we'll, we'll start with uh, with James Bible. And uh, Will was bringing up some uh, information, uh, observations that during the break about uh, the headlines saying the two officers were exonerated uh, in the Manuel Ellis killing. So uh, Attorney Bible, can you address that headline? Okay. All right. Um, on March 3rd, 2020, in the city of Tacoma, Washington, a black man was lynched while walking home from a corner store. His name was Manny Ellis. He was lynched by five officers, three of whom are currently charged with murder. Uh, ultimately, what they did was they threw that man to the ground as he was walking home, beat him, kicked him, tased him, choked him, then put him on his stomach and tied him hands to feet. And as he was hogtied hands to feet, uh, another officer named Farinas walked up to this man and in the most callous way put a spit mask over his head. And they all sat, stood, and watched Mr. Ellis breathe his last breath. Uh, Ultimately, what happened yesterday is the, well, a couple of days ago now, is that the city of Tacoma held or reported on an investigation that was faulty, flawed, and and misleading. Uh, Ultimately, what they did was they determined that officers Farinas and Ford could return back to work. This is not an exoneration. This is not some sort of criminal trial that was held in which the people actually got to make a determination. It was the city of Tacoma actually utilizing previous processes because it should be understood that they actually had Uh, an investigation that they conducted prior to the videos coming out in this particular case um, that was finished in June and they were already set to send these folks back to work in the first place. They relied on the officer's word and what they ultimately said is we have a policy in Tacoma of backing any officer that commits brutal, violent force towards another human being, especially a black one. Uh, And that's exactly what happened in the city of Tacoma. I'd like to go to Miss uh, Tisha Marie, who is, uh, as I introduced, as a, a, a realtor, publisher, and founder of Legally Black. And uh, so why don't you just uh, let our listeners know about uh, Legally Black, first of all, and the role that you guys played in the Manuel Ellis situation. Sure. So um, I'm, I'm the founder of Legally Black, and Legally Black um, is a nonprofit based here in Tacoma. Black being an acronym for Brave, Lifted, Altruistic, Creative, and Keen. We do not directly represent the Ellis family. We represent all, all people on the receiving end of racial discrimination and oppression. And the, in this particular case, the Ellis family was a victim of that exact scenario. Um, one of the things that we've done is we take the concerns of the community directly to people in power with the ability to implement the changes that are needed to prevent stuff like this from happening again and holding officers accountable. Uh, myself and your other guests, Will Hausa, um, were a part of an, another another process with police contract negotiations. And in that space, as well as others, what Legally Black tries to do is making sure that these concerns are directly addressed in a way that creates tangible, long-lasting changes. Unfortunately, the city of Tacoma has not seen as many changes are necessary to help facilitate the, the charges of guilty on all accounts to the, uh, mer- to the people who were responsible for the, the death of Manny Ellis. 
Uh, there's a lot that's still going on, a lot that's underway at this point in time. And again, as what, what we like to do is make sure that the community's concerns are being heard and addressed in a manner that can actually make change happen. Um, so that's a little bit about Legally Black and where we have been in this matter. Again, we don't represent the family directly. We represent all people on the receiving end of racial discrimination and oppression. And again, this is that scenario right here. And I now want to go to Will Hauser, who is uh, chair of the Washington Commission on African-American Affairs and has been representing the Tacoma Pierce County uh, uh, Black Collective in the deliberations with the police department. So Will would like to have your perspective on where we are right now with the manual level situation and the uh, what the P newspapers say, the exoneration of the two cops that were involved. Well, where we are, obviously we're at this stage, we know where these two officers were exonerated and obviously there's three who have been charged with um, murder and manslaughter. I'll be quite honest with you, Eddie, I'm quite, I'm not surprised by yesterday's this recommendation from the chief but I am disappointed and I'm disappointed by the fact that there was no mention of I-940 in the chief statement. And I just wonder where does I-940, which is supposed to protect uh, people like Manny Ellis, once the scene has been secured and they've been apprehended, where was the rendering of first aid? Why was, we, why was there a wait for several minutes for an EMT to be notified? And then another several minutes to, for EMTs to be notified again, like you need to hurry up. Why, where where did this come up in that in that conversation and, and in the city's investigation? It's just hard. It's just difficult for me to believe that we have initiative I nine forty in place and it, it appears to have been completely ignored in this process. Will could you let our listeners know exactly what I nine forty is? Initiative nine forty was as is, is is legislation that was actually it's actually law that was actually voted by the citizens of the state of Washington to for law enforcement officers to be trained to de-escalate de uh, situations that were that could potentially involve deadly force. And also for law enforcement, it was also to train law enforcement and law enforcement officers and to instruct law enforcement officers to render first aid during an, uh, um, uh, a situation that involves some level of force. And Attorney James Bible, what is the situation right now with, uh, I guess there is a lawsuit uh, uh, against uh, the city of Tacoma. Uh, any other legal action that's been taken on behalf of the Manuel Alvarez family? Absolutely. Let me start with this. Uh, we can't ignore that all officials in the, city of Seattle, in the city of Tacoma are actually complicit in the killing and murder of Manuel Ellis. We can't ignore that because not a single one stood up and publicly said anything uh, after the most recent exoneration that gives us any imp impression whatsoever that they're actually going to hold their law enforcement accountable. Uh, the mayor said something way back in June of 2020 and has been uh, somewhat backing away from it ever since. And it matters to people to actually have not just gatekeepers that pretend they care about Black lives, but people that actually authentically give uh, something more than lip service uh, to Black Lives Matter. And it's clear that the city of Tacoma is corrupt. Where we are at this stage is we're in a place where we are gathering our allies together and we're planning to make a move similar to what we did in Seattle in relation to the Department of Justice and requesting a consent decree because this entity is incapable of policing itself. Uh, itself. The city and its council and its mayor and its city manager have no interest in accountability and justice. The folks that have been in Tacoma are held hostage by murderous officers that don't hesitate to run over human beings in a separate incident and they get covered. Don't hesitate to shoot indigenous folks. Uh, don't hesitate to uh, harm people that are homeless. The, the things that are done in the name of law enforcement and the taxpayers of Tacoma should make every person in Tacoma sick and ill that it's done with their taxpayer dollars. That's in part why we filed a civil rights lawsuit against the city of Tacoma and the powers that be there. That's in part why we'll be working with the Department of Justice and doing everything we can uh, with stakeholders to try to push a consent decree similar to what's in Seattle. Tisha Marie, I wanna ask you, uh, 
what uh, what will uh, legally black be doing in this process now that we see that uh, the awesome officers are going to be returning to the streets to uh, to the streets? What else can be done by your organization to ensure that there is some similar suggestions in this whole process? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Uh, something that's really important is making sure that our community officials and our community at large understands that there is a long-standing ingrained racial bias within the police department. And it has been there for, from its inception. So exposing that, um, you've seen a lot of stuff happen over the last couple of years where people are taking to the streets and protesting. And a lot of times that helps build momentum to create the changes that are needed behind the scenes. You're almost cornering officials to, to putting them in a position where they are embarrassed and the only way out is change behavior or policy. So you're going to see some of that happening um, in Tacoma very soon, not just with Legally Black, with a lot of other organizations that are ready to mobilize and make the changes happen. And that is strength in numbers. We have to make sure that we are working collectively with other organizations as well and proposing solutions that can help change the policy because we can focus all day long on the people and what they have said. But if the policies do not change, it doesn't matter who's mayor, who's city city um, manager, who is the chief of police. If the policies have not changed, because that is where the flaw is, these systems will remain in place and it doesn't matter who the face of these, these conversations are, the issues will still be negatively impacting the black and brown community. So what Legally Black is focused on is changing policy. And that's where we're, our attention is going. And I want to ask, Will, there's been a new uh, police chief hired uh, in the, for the city of Tacoma, an African-American from Dallas, Texas. Uh, what kind of hope do you put in that hire? It's a great question and a very easy one to answer. Our expectation is quite simple. We want community oversight. We truly believe that the chief's recommendation, had it gone in front of a real community oversight committee that actually has some teeth to bite, that that oversight committee would have found, found recommendations quite differently from the chief. This individual that's coming from uh, Dallas, Texas, he was asked straight up, what do you know about oversight? He had plenty of experience with it. And his answer was the answer that attracted many people to him. So the expectation is that this gentleman is going to come into the city and he's going to lead an effort to initiate community oversight where community members can have real say and real and give real feedback, not just talk, not just recommendations that people listen to and it goes in one end after the other, but recommendations that are actually acted upon. So it's our recommendation that Mr. Moore, when he gets to the city of Tacoma, that he's talking oversight day one. And then uh, uh, Mr. James Bible, uh, in, in closing, I just want to find out what the next steps are on, from the legal side. Well, I'll tell you first, before I even get into that, my expectation is, is that these officers get fired. Um, if you are a chief and you are stepping into this, rather than allowing the interim chief to make a strategic decision on the eve of the holidays um, that they hope will be, be ignored, that you bring it back to the forefront, you actually do something about it as the chief. We will learn something about his courage early on in terms of whether or not he's just going to simply placate people or actually move in a way uh, where he's focused on justice. Lawsuit has already been filed. We actively continue to investigate. We know that the murder charges have been filed. We look forward to sitting in uh, the courtroom and watching these officers uh, go to trial uh, and face tough questions with the jury actually um, making the ultimate determination but really where we are is towards the department of justice that's where we need to head there needs to be a decree uh this needs to be taken completely out of the hands of tacoma it is historically corrupt and too many people there have allowed this to get to this place okay Ms. Tisha marie co-founder of legally black you have the last word man <laughs> thank you thank you um i think at this point in time i, I agree with with mr bible and i agree with mr hausa wholeheartedly. Uh, when Avery Moore steps into this position, he needs to make a bold and unapologetic move that is going to set the example of how this department is going to move forward hereafter. Um, I asked him very intimate questions when I first met him, and, and specifically, would you fire the officers who murdered Manny Ellis? I hope that answer that he gave me is true and that we see action as soon as he steps forward. Okay, I want to thank uh, Tisha Marie, Attorney James Bialgo, and Will Hauser for their time today and your commitment to the community to get things straight and get justice for our people. So thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. And uh, as soon as I get off injured reserve, I'll get back in the middle of the struggle myself. So thank you. Very good. Okay. Eric, we'll go ahead and take a break and come back after this. 
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Okay, uh, we're hooking up with uh, Attorney Bobby Alexander and uh, Chairwoman Sade Moore. But in the meantime, I want to give a shout out and Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to Liz Alzier down at the uh, City of Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Department, along with our crew, Carol Wong, Carmen, Jesse, Mark. Uh, and also, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sound Transit, the chairman, uh, Mr. Kent Keel, chairman of the Sound Transit Board, Leslie Jones, chief of labor, uh, Tay uh, Robinson is uh, chief of uh, civil rights, equity, and inclusion. And I also want to give a shout out to me and Rice down at the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office with his guy, uh, Lawrence Coleman. Uh, and I also want to wish uh, 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 Mike, uh, Steve Metric, the CEO down there, and all those folks, they, uh, uh, and the people out at the airport, Lance Little, Don Hunter, uh, Debbie Harrison, all y'all, a Merry Christmas, and look forward to us doing bigger and better things next year. But we have been joined by attorney uh, Bobby Alexander, who is one of the leaders of the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition that uh, organizes the March rally workshops and opportunity fair every year. And once again, we might have some improvising going on because of the fact that not only did we have Delta, but we got Omicron as well. So attorney Alexander, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And like to have you uh, give our listeners an update on what's happening and how they can get involved. And it's not a celebration because this is uh, Martin Luther King III said this got to be about a uh, some diligence and get, getting voting rights. So it's going to be an observance, not a celebration. So how you doing? Hmm. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Excited, excited to be having this event in spite of all the things that are happening in the world. Uh, it's an exciting time for us. Um, every year, we try to put together an event that speaks to an issue. This year, we'll be speaking to truth and education. Um, obviously, the voting rights issue is serious, but this committee uh, this year is to focus on education. And so, with respect to to Dr. King, uh, we'll be we will be focusing on that. Uh, we have members from the community that will be speaking. I'm sure your listeners know, like Anthony Washington, who will be speaking on special education and Isaiah Anderson, who will be speaking on uh, different types of educational alternatives, like you know drama and what he's been doing for so long in the city of Seattle to put on the children's play, et cetera. Uh, we have singers coming from, the, from, uh, from locally, you know, like Samara, uh, Samara Rain or Samara Jeffrey, for those uh, in the community know her, and uh, male singer Isaiah Banks. We have people 
that are going to be coming out and, and trying to spread positivity in this time of polarized politics and COVID. So it should be an exciting event. It should be an event that when you leave, you feel like you've done something, but also like Dr. King was honored. That's the goal that we always have. And uh, in terms of, uh, are there going to be workshops this year? And I also understand that uh, that the Reverend Dr. Samuel Berry McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development, formerly known as SVI and also SOIC, will also play a role. Where are we now uh, in terms of the whole planning process on where the venues will occur? Will there be workshops in Garfield? I understand that the food service will not be uh, possible this year. So any updates on that? Yeah, we're going to have workshops this year. Some will be in person. Some will be virtual. So we'll have a split, you know, it'll be a hybrid program. Uh, some of them will be at the former SEI now McKinney Center. Um, the workshop will cover a number of topics usually, and this year is not an exception. We'll, we'll talk about how white supremacy impacts education and different models of education, but also just a number of different issues that are relevant to the African-American community. Uh, so like I was saying earlier, it will be virtual and there will be ones that are in person. So we will be doing a hybrid model and people will have an opportunity to attend both of them. Um, as the dates draw closer, we'll release a schedule of the specific workshops that have been chosen so that the folks won't have to wonder what we're going to be doing. Um, all of those workshops that are chosen are highly vetted and they are definitely going to be exciting and we're excited for people to come and learn. Uh, and okay. Uh, you know, usually uh, every year there's a special youth event. And I think a couple of years ago, there was something at Seattle Center and something at Langston Hughes. And given the current condition of uh, the, the Omicron variant, uh, will there be a gathering like that for the youth or will that be, be uh, remote? This youth event, just like last year, was virtual. Um, we made a decision, myself and, and the chair, Sade, that the number of permits and the number of different procedures overcome to throw an event in Seattle these days is quite momentous. And then to do all that and then potentially contract COVID or, or have a role in the contracting of COVID of a third person, we just didn't think that was responsible, especially with the way that young people uh, like to fraternize. And, and we didn't want to put anybody in a position that was going to be unnecessarily risky. Uh, so that will be virtual this year. My understanding from the young people who are running it is that it's going to be a panel where they generate questions for their peers, and they will have leaders from different black student unions around uh, King County that will be coming out to answer questions that, that are generated by the members of our youth uh, leadership committee. So that's, that is what that's going to look like. Whether that is broadcasted on YouTube or Facebook, we will have the link available in the near uh, in the near future, and obviously, again, security is is a value here because what we know is that if we put the link out too early, we will have counter uh, counter protesters or people who are hostile to, to Black Americans that will get online and try to turn try to turn our virtual event into something that we don't want it to be. So we will have to release that information a little bit later than we'd like to. But that's the reality. Hmm? And. Uh... There's also an annual march. And uh, where will the march go from? And has there been a decision made on what the final destination is going to be? Final destination is, 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 at least in my mind, from my knowledge, has not been determined yet. We will leave from Garfield, though, sometime between 12, 30, and 1. Um, 12, 15 at the earliest, I would say, 12, 45 at the latest. We'll be leaving Garfield to begin our march and head somewhere downtown, uh, whether or not that includes the protest or not is also yet to be determined. But like, like I told you with the virtual security, last year we did have an incident where, where somebody came with an ulterior motive and, and things can get ugly quick. So we're going to hold off on releasing the information of where the march will conclude uh, until closer to the event as well, even if I did know. Yeah, that's one thing about uh, the logistics committee, KL and uh, uh, Bob, uh, Bob Barnes, is that uh, I think they were encouraging people in the in the march because a lot of people will join the march for ulterior motives and take advantage of that large crowd to do something very destructive. And uh, so what's been encouraged in the past, 
If you see somebody doing something wrong, make sure you get them on camera, okay? Mm. So everybody knows that if you join the Martin Luther King March for ulterior motives and try to destroy property or do something that's against the law, you but your butt will be filmed and it will be turned over to the police. That's all there is to it. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was the epitome of nonviolence, and we cannot have violence associated uh, with with, uh, with Dr. King's name. I do see that we've been enjoy- we've been joined by uh, the chair of the Seattle Martin Luther King uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition, Shade Moore. Shade, how are you doing? I'm well. Uh, apologies for being a little late. I have been on official MLK business all day, um, so um, I'm just getting to a good place to where I can sit and and uh, speak to you. Attorney Alexander has done a marvelous job in filling us in on the various details. So I would like to ask Attorney Alexander to ask you a few questions that you didn't hear me ask him, but that I might have missed. So I want him to ask you a couple of questions about information that he and I didn't cover. So Attorney Alexander, go ahead and do the cross-examination. So so Sade, uh, regarding the workshops, do we know how many we're having do we know it? Do we know how many are going to be in person? So right now, I believe we have between five and seven rooms that uh, have been allocated for the workshops at the McKinney Center on 21st and Jackson. Um, that's give or take, right? Because even though um, our workshops, both virtual and in person, uh, are still up in the air, meaning we're trying to ensure that those that have uh, put in requests to um, present a workshop still have the means to do so with some of the um, the uh, the barriers that we've encountered, uh, one being Wi-Fi, um, and two being, again, that we're requiring uh, full vaccination for entry into the facility. Um, I believe that our virtual workshops, and, and again, don't quote me because they change, um, those have been locked in. Um, I believe we don't have an issue there, but it's really just been about coordinating the on-site um, logistics for the facility. And we have five to seven rooms that have been allocated for workshops on site. Excellent, excellent. And this year, what uh, what are we doing? Our um, is there anything that we're doing different this year that we have that we have or haven't done in the Um. Well, we're having a so last year we didn't have an opportunity for at all due to you know the rise of the pandemic uh but this year uh we almost canceled and uh quite volunteer way to still make it why we're always uh recommending that we we bring more volunteers into the space so there won't be a community meal this year as well uh pretty much everything is still the same we still have a rally we have a march um, we still have workshops. Again, those are both in-person and virtual. We're going to have an event, which is going to be virtual as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, pretty much, again, everything is still the same with those two uh, events. Excellent, excellent. Uh, is there anything as far as, you know, recruiting more people to, to participate in our programs moving forward in time, is there anything that you want to say to those people? I, I can start off. I'll, I'll say this. The lifeblood of, of the MLK event is the volunteers that make it happen. Mm-hmm. And if this event is going to continue, we need more people to come out and, and support, not just to show up to the event, but to support and planning the event. Uh, we were really disappointed this year with our inability to have the community meal. That's something that we really valued. But we also mm-hmm. are not in a position to, to plan things haphazardly. And so we would just ask members of the community, if, if you do have time, please join our committee in the future and please help us plan this event. Give them the website information where they can go and sign up to be a volunteer. So I believe that is SeattleMLKCoalition.org. There you go. Okay, SeattleMLKCoalition.org. Yep. So if you want to get involved in the, the tradition and uh, – you know, uh, Martin Luther King III is uh, one of people to say not use celebration along with the holiday uh, observance this year. And uh, yes. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that hopefully that we have uh, 
the voter registrar is out uh, in force as well, uh, to making sure yep. we preserve our right and motivate people to go to the polls when they have to. So, uh, thank you for bringing that up, Eddie. Um, we've had a lot of people ask. That came into our website as well. Uh, no, we want to emphasize that we're commemorating his legacy as well as the famous act uh, for uh, you know March uh, protest for voting. So I want to emphasize that that is our mission, that is our goal, and that's what we intend to do. And and that's great. So uh, CLMLKcoalition.org for information about the January 17th MLK holiday observance with the focus on voting rights. So, look, I want to thank my co-host, uh, Attorney Bobby Alexander, for co-hosting the latter part of the program and also coordinating the rally for the January 17th uh rally that will be held at Garfield. And also I want to thank the chair, Sade Moore. And we'll have someone on every week up until that time, let, bringing people up to date. And uh, Sade, uh, Bobby, you guys need to stand by because you probably know about more changes in the committee chairs. So I'd like to have either one of you stand by for the next few weeks, next couple of weeks, to make sure the accurate information gets out. So thank both of you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. Uh, be safe and don't take no chances. Never. Thank you. Happy holidays. All right, then. Thank you very much. So, uh, Eric, if we can, if we can just go ahead and I want to say Merry Christmas to everybody and Happy New Year. Uh, we can go ahead and just have play some Charles Brown and some Christmas music on the way out. And Merry Christmas to you, Eric, to you and your family, and also to the 1150 AM KKNW family, as, along with the rest of Hubbard's uh, folks out there. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Sun